But right now, we're just going to spend um, some time looking at um, Galatians chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, um, you can open that up to Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept, accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump i have confidence in the lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is but if i brothers still preach circumcision why am i being persecuted in that case the offense of the cross has been removed i wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves for you are called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Well, good morning. Welcome. Um, whether you're a member here at City Light or whether you're visiting for the first time, um, as we dive into the passage, if you are new or just visiting or new to Christianity more broadly, some of the stuff that was read out in that passage before may not immediately have made much sense, but I promise you as we get through it, it really will. At, at City Light, uh, our practice here is to actually move through books of the Bible, um, passage by passage, because we want to hear what God is saying to us, not to simply decide what's already true and then to read that back into scriptures. And so we want to read things in context and understand what it meant to the original hearers, but also what God is saying to us in his word. Uh, and this morning... Paul has one really clear message. Paul is the author of the book here in Galatians. And there's one really clear point, and it's this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. See, what is it that we are talking about when we talk about freedom? I think it's important that we have a clear understanding of what freedom is before you actually go about pursuing it. And I think that's a reasonably reasonable statement. When you're a child, you tend to think, that the main vision of freedom is to be freed from restrictions. And that's the entirety of all you need to understand about freedom. I remember when I was in year nine, I, I hated school. I didn't get along well with my teachers. And school just seemed like something that you had to endure for a certain amount of years before you could be free. And so I was on the way to school with a mate, and we were talking about how much we were dreading the day and the classes for that day. And then it dawned on us... We didn't have to go to school. We could just not go today. And so we thought what we'll do is we'll go, to, we'll go to roll call, get our names marked off, and then make our way out of the school, and then we're free for the day. So we did that. We went to roll call. Then we kind of made our kind of escape from the internment camp, you know, past teachers and past nosy SRC do-gooder type students who might dob you in. And eventually we made our way out, and we were free but then another reality dawned on us. What are we going to do now? We had like three bucks, so we went to the servo, got some fizzy sticks, 
finished with that about 10 minutes later. And then we went over to the park. We kind of went to the kids' playground at the park, realized it's not really for kids our age. And then we were like, you know what? Maybe let's just go back to school. <laughs> and so period three, we were already back at school after having lived our best life. The juvenile approach to freedom is that you just think, if I could just get free from restrictions, then I'd be free. But the problem is, unless you're free to do something, it's not really freedom. If you really want to understand freedom, you need to be freed from something and freed to something. In fact, it probably goes the other way around. You need to know what you need to be free to do in order to know what you need to be free from. And it has to go in that order. In the gospel, we're going to see today in Galatians 5 that Paul says that freedom... Freedom is about Christ setting you free. In the gospel, you are free from sin and death, but you also are free to a new life of love in Christ. That your life you now live is lived based on the love that you've experienced from God. That you have a new heart and new priorities. That He hasn't just set you free from something so that you can sit around and wait until the day He takes you home. But until that time, He gives you a purpose and a life to live which is to love like He has loved you. We are freed from sin and death to love. I'm going to pray that God would open our hearts as we dive into this truth this morning in Galatians 5. Let's pray. Father, we just praise You that You are the God of freedom, the one who truly sets free, the one who really has the power to set free. And so we thank You that in the Gospel we are set free from sin and death, but in Christ, through the Spirit, we are made new to live lives of love that glorify you and that radiate the love that you have shown us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for this for the sake of your name. Amen. Well, this is it, this passage. This is the last time in the book of Galatians that Paul is going to address the false teachers. And if you've been with us week after week, if this is your first week, you might be like, what's the big deal? But if you've been with us week after week, you notice that Paul has been writing to a church where there have been false teachers who have come in and said, look, yeah, we've heard all that stuff about grace, but in the end, you've got to do something in order to be saved. And Paul has addressed it again and again and again. And the theme has been repeated. But after this, Paul is going to move on to what life looks like having been transformed by grace. And this is the last one where he's going to address this false teaching. So this kind of forms the conclusion of the whole book up until this point. This is kind of his like third speaker on the debating team. He's like, this is the closing arguments in a court case. This is him summing everything up. And he reserves his strongest language for this section. Look what he says. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision... He is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In summary, Paul writes, It's for freedom that Christ has set you free, so don't go and submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus died and rose again so that you are no longer under the burden of religion. And Paul says you've been set free. So don't go back to trying to earn your way to God. Once you understand the gospel, you know it's not based on your works. You are set free by grace. 
And that's why he says, so if you accept this teaching that the false teachers are saying about the need to get circumcised in order to be right with God, he says, if you accept that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He says, you can either trust yourself to make yourself right with God, or you can trust Christ. And he says, if you go in for this teaching, and if you accept even just one part, that there's one thing you have to do under the law to be justified, well, it's all on you. Let me illustrate it kind of in this way. Imagine you are in a burning building, you're on the roof, and you are being winched away. And they, they're just winching you, they, they can't put you in the helicopter. I, I don't know how these things work. It's not important, it's not a real situation, okay? But you, are, you, are, you have like a, I don't know what, a carabiner clip that like attaches you to the, again, there's no rescue workers here anyway who can tell me different, so let's, let's just go with that. But let's say you're being, you're being winched away, so you're attached to the helicopter by this harness. If you unclip yourself, that's, if you take that small action in that moment to unclip yourself, your entire life now hangs upon your own ability to hold on to that line. It is now all on you. You can either trust in the clip or in yourself. There is no in-between. Paul says here, if you go in for this works righteousness, if you trust that there is something that you must do to save yourself, well, then it's all on you. And Christ is of no advantage to you. Because if you're going to trust yourself to be right with God, you're going to need to keep the whole law perfectly. If you want to go down that track. He says it's all or nothing. And so he's warning them. And then he goes in. He goes all the way in on these false teachers. He goes in two feet, studs up, full musket. Galatians 5, 7 to 12, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That is strong language. You didn't mishear that. That's in the Bible. Paul says these guys who are coming in preaching circumcision, I wish they'd go the whole way. He goes in on them. But more than that, he says, you were running well. And he says, and now you attempted to move away from the truth. Or even maybe some of them who had never actually come to salvation will be tempted to trust in this teaching instead of the gospel. And he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's quoting Jesus here. And he's saying, if, if you're cooking with just a little bit of leaven, it only takes a tiny bit to make its way through the whole batch. And he's saying, with this false teaching, if you permit even a tiny bit of it, it's going to pollute the whole church. He says, you cannot tolerate it. This is false teaching and it's anti-gospel. And he says, you have to deal with it. And he also says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will. That as you hear the truth and you hold it up against the lies, that you'll be discerning enough to see that this is false teaching and it needs to be cast out. And he prays then that the false teacher would face the penalty of it and be cast out of community. Because Paul says at the end of this, he says, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, what is this about? Paul was persecuted, and he was persecuted for preaching the gospel of grace. Some of us over this term have been reading through the book of Acts, and if you have, you've seen that in Paul's missionary journeys, what his, his MO is that he'll go to a city, and he'll start in the synagogues where his fellow Jewish people meet, and he'll preach the gospel there. And what will usually happen is a few people will believe, but a whole bunch will get really angry about it, and they'll kick him out of the city. 
And in one particular city, they are so angry about it that they try to kill him. And in fact, they, they throw rocks at him until they think he's dead. And the only reason they stop is because they think he's already died. And so they leave him there when other Christians come and tend to him and restore him to health. And so here, Paul was persecuted horrifically for preaching the gospel of grace. That's why he says here, look, if I just preach this message of circumcision and being justified by the law, why would I still be being persecuted? No, everywhere he goes, he preaches grace and he faces opposition for it. And why? Because grace is offensive. See, Paul says here that as he preaches this message of grace, as he preaches the cross, it leads to persecution. Now you kind of think, why, why is it that a message like grace would make people so angry. Going to a, a city where people believe that they are burdened by this burden of religion, where you have to do everything perfectly in order to be justified by God, where your eternal salvation is constantly at stake based on your own behavior and performance. Why would it not be a breath of fresh air to hear, hey, you don't have to do this. There's a way to God through grace. Why would that not set them free? Because grace is humbling and if you're proud, grace is humiliating. And to the religiously proud, it is a humiliation that they can't and won't bear and didn't. See, religious pride says, I am good enough. I can do it. And not only that, if you have invested your whole life in that worldview, it radically transforms how you see yourself and other people around you. So it becomes the basis for seeing yourself as a good person, but it also becomes the basis for looking down on other people. It becomes the basis for looking down on those moral reprobates who just aren't good enough to get their lives together. It becomes how you see everything. So when Paul comes in and says, no, actually it's about grace and obliterates your whole worldview, you can get very mad about it, mad enough even to kill him. Paul says, if I preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Grace is offensive. It will offend and it still is. Grace is even still offensive in our very non-religious culture. The teaching that we are sinners and that we have done wrong before God and that it's God who will judge us, not us who will judge God, still offends. It still offends our sensibilities. And oftentimes, the talk around the future of the church can be that if we, if we just changed enough things, eventually we'd be right with the culture, that we'd be accepted by the culture. And Paul says it's never going to happen. It's not going to happen in a conservative or a progressive culture. Wherever true grace is preached, it will offend at some point and in some way. And that's not to say that it will offend all people in all ways. And that's not to say that you get to be a jerk about it. Because sometimes what people say, even claiming to be Christians, is offensive just because you're being mean. That's not the gospel either. But it's worth noting that it says here in Scripture that the gospel will always carry, if it's true grace, will always carry an element that offends our sensibilities in every culture for different reasons. So why stick with it? Because of the opening line of this passage. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Hold on to the gospel. Because grace might offend, but it also liberates. And there is a freedom in Christ that can only be fabricated elsewhere. There is a freedom that you have in Christ now that can be found nowhere else. You are free. Think about this. You are free from the burden of sin. 
you are free from the fear of death. You are free from the burden of identity and constantly wondering who am I, who am I genuinely and who am I supposed to be. Free from the burden of purpose of what is this life about? Am I doing the right things? In the gospel, you're not just free from this, but free from the old way of life. You're free from slavery to approval and to constantly seeking out others to approve of you no matter what you do. You're free from the slavery of status and career and money and the grind and hustle and trying to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. You're free from the burden of slavery to pleasure and the need to always have nice things. You're free from the burden of control and the illusion that somehow if you just do the right things, you can get everything in this life under control. So Paul says, stand firm on the gospel of freedom. Hold fast to it. Don't depart to it. Don't be swayed by false teachers. So then the question becomes, well, if that's what we're freed from, what now? What do we do with our lives? Paul says, we love. Look at what he says in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So now we come to the place of good works in the life of the believer. Paul says you are called to freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's more than one word, but you get what he's getting at here, right? Being set free by grace is not an excuse then to live however we want, but it's an opportunity now to live in the freedom that we have in Jesus to love like he has loved us. He says, don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. As in last week, we looked at the flesh as a kind of an idea of self-reliance. He says, don't go back to that way of relying upon yourself to either be justified before God or to live whatever life you, you choose to live. So he's saying here, Instead, we are set free to love. The reason the gospel has set you free is that you might live as God intended you to, in love. See, there is a saying among theologians that justification is by faith alone, and yet faith is never alone. That is to say that when God justifies and saves people, He never does that without sanctifying them as well. That to be saved is not a work that we do or contribute to by grace. But the truth is, if you have experienced genuine grace, it will transform your life. That's why, I don't know if you saw it in the middle of that passage, he, he diverts a little and says in Galatians 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says you are saved by grace. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered you to have faith in Jesus, to see the need that you had in Him and to trust in Him. But faith always ends up working through love. That the Spirit who gave you faith will also lead you to live a life of love to honor Jesus. You are not saved by changing your life, but if your life has been saved, it will be changed. When I was in high school, I, um, I got to school one morning and heard the terrible news that one of our friends had been hit by a Mack truck. Now this was sad news and it was confusing news. It was sad news because being hit by a Mack truck is a life-threatening injury. 
It was confusing news because I'd seen him at period one maths. So at that point, I realized something about this story doesn't quite add up. Then as the morning kind of went on, further information, clarifying information started to trickle through. The first one was that the truck wasn't going that fast. Okay, that's helpful. That's interesting information. The second bit was that not that he was hit by the truck, but that he had hit the truck in the side. Okay, that's also interesting. Might explain a little bit about his injuries. And then the truth finally came through that this is what had happened. He was standing at the lights, talking to someone else distractedly. The sound that indicates that you can go went off, but it wasn't from the pedestrian crossing in front of him. It was from the other side. So he ran across, and at that point, a truck was just starting to depart from the lights, and he ran into the side of it. And that was it. That was the story in the end. Now, that, of course, made sense why he was completely then uninjured. But you've got you to love the enthusiasm of how just a tale can get, like, you know, can get out of control in a high school context. Because, of course, the obvious thing in hearing that was that those two things don't match up. You don't get hit by a truck at full speed and then also show up completely uninjured to class. Those two things don't seem to accord. Now, in the same way, if you've experienced genuine grace, it will change your life. You've not been saved by works. You've been saved by grace. But if grace has had no impact on your life, no impact on how you see the world and on other people, it just might be the case that you haven't experienced genuine grace. And it can be that a lack of a changed life is a lack of a genuine experience of salvation a lack of a genuine encounter with the God of grace, with the life-changing grace of the gospel. Now, at this point, you might just say, well, isn't this just semantics? This is, this is kind of works 2.0 all over again. It's kind of like, well, you don't have to do anything to get saved, but if you don't do anything, then you're not saved. So see what we did there? So what is the difference then? Well, the difference is huge, isn't it? And the reason Paul has spent so much time in this letter on grace, 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 grace is so that when we finally get to our behavior and how it's changed, that we'll understand the difference. Religion says, if you obey God, he will love you. The gospel is because God has loved you, you will obey him. And there's a world of difference between those two things. We know it, don't we? The difference between doing something because you have to, as opposed to because you get to, is worlds apart. In the gospel, it's not ultimately about a change of behavior, but a change of heart. But having encountered the gospel and having had the Spirit come and dwell in your heart, you have new desires and a new way of seeing the world. And you might be saying, well, I, I feel kind of confused now because right now, as I look at my life, I see, I guess, a lot more sin at work than I do love and grace in following God. And I think he has saved me, but I still sin maybe even a lot right now. And the passage next week is really perfect for where you're at. And Jacob's going to be speaking on that from Galatians 5. But suffice it to say for now, there is one maybe diagnostic question that's very helpful in understanding the difference between being someone who is saved and yet still sins and someone who has yet to experience genuine salvation and grace. And it's this. When do you truly feel free? If it's the case that when you feel freest and like this is the life I actually want to live is when I'm doing the things that actually God calls me not to, I would be concerned that maybe you haven't experienced true grace yet. 
But if it's the case that you're someone who knows God, loves God, and even when it's the case that you are in sin, you're like, this is, this is how I'm living, but this is not the deepest or truest desires of my heart. This is not how I want to be living. Then it's in every way likely the case that you're a sinner who's experienced grace and is experiencing God's ongoing, sanctifying, patient, gracious work. And so that's why Paul writes going on from this, that we are called to live a life of love. Look what he says at the end of his conclusion. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to live free, go and love like God has loved you in the gospel. Freely, graciously, undeservingly. That is what your life is about and that's where true freedom and joy is found. That's where true meaning is found. And to do it, not in order to be right with God, but because God has already made you right with Him. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it in this way, which is such a succinct and helpful way to put it. He says, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. The gospel means that you are justified before God, but He has set you free now to go and love people as He has loved you. You have a purpose. is being set free from one thing and to another. The best illustration I've seen of this in a story isn't a story that you probably know from movie form, which is the Shawshank Redemption. Now, I do have a rule about spoilers when it comes to illustration, is that I give you a 10-year head start, and after that, it's fair game. And this one is going on, what, like 20 or 25. So, uh, anyway, we'll see. <coughs> but recently... Recently, I actually read, read the, the short story version of it. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this story was actually written by Stephen King. And most people don't associate it with Stephen King. There is a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but this is how it goes, that he was at a book signing. Someone came up to him who was shocked by all of the horrific stuff that he writes, all the horror stuff. And they said to him, why do you write all this trash? Why don't you write something nice and wholesome like Shawshank Redemption? And he said, I did. And that would be an... Look, that probably never happened, but if it did, that is an amazing power move. <laughs> but in this, in this story, it tells the story of, of two prisoners, one who is unjustly imprisoned and another guy who's kind of a, a lifer. He's been in there for a long time. And, uh, and his character is named Red. Um, and the reason for that is in the book, he's an Irishman with red hair. And in the movie, we just were never told why. I think there's like a little gag in there about it. But... Um, but basically, what happens is that many of the lifers who are in there, once they get out of jail, having been freed from jail, they actually find that life outside is even worse, and they often re-perpetrate just to get back inside to a familiar way of living. Because they get out, and because they've not been freed to anything particularly, they feel like life outside is worse than inside. Because they've been in there so long and the world has changed so much, it feels almost more familiar to go back to prison. But at the end of uh, Red's sentence, he's finally free and his friend Andy Dufresne has, has gained his freedom. But he leaves him a message about where to find him. And so once Red gets out, he goes on a search to try and find his friend because he has something to do and a purpose to live out and a hope to live for. And because of that, rather than reoffending and ending up back behind bars, he lives out this freedom by actually going on to what he hopes for. He gets freed from something to something. And in the same way, the gospel doesn't free you just from sin and death to then be like, well, what's my life going to be about now? 
But Paul says we are freed from this so that we can go on and love, so that we have a purpose, to love as many people as you possibly can before Jesus takes you home. And I think we need this right now. <clears throat> Two years of a lockdown has made us tired and a little bit gun-shy. Uncertainty generally just makes you prone to self-preservation, which then after time can just kind of percolate into selfishness. And I feel it. I'm watching more TV again. I'm eating junk. I'm wallowing in unmotivation. The sickness carousel is just like, it just drags you down. We're now into our second cycle. So the whole family has gone through. And it only just dawned on me this morning now with another kid sick that we're not at the end of the cycle. We're at the beginning of the next one. So that's going to be fun. And any of you who've been on that merry-go-round as well are just starting to feel like, at that point you just feel like, what's the point? I, I just feel tempted to just be like, I'm just going to look after me now. And we can lose and forget our calling that we were saved and put here to live like Christ and to love as many people as we possibly can before we go home. To love our neighbor as ourselves, And that's true freedom. John Wesley, uh, who was a, uh, a minister uh, and part of the revival in the 18th century in England, wrote down his life statement as this, to glorify God by doing all the good I can, by all the means I can, in all the ways I can, in all the places I can, at all the times I can, to all the people I can. Even reading that might sound exhausting. But that's freedom, isn't it? That's what we're set free for. To love like Christ has loved us. And we're still human and we have limitations. And so you're going to need to rest and to manage that, of course. But freedom is found in living like Christ. That's the purpose that we're now given. Grace has set us free to love others as well as we can, even as sinful and broken people. And so could I put this challenge to you this week, that despite everything that's going on and all the chaos and all of the distraction and all of the uncertainty, to this week just think, how is it that God might use me to do some good and to love my neighbor as myself this week? And maybe even to shrink it down, to think of it in this way. Who is one person in your workplace or in your home or in your community group that you could do good to this week. And to go about doing that and to see whether or not this is the kind of freedom that Christ has called you to. And to see if week on week He might not make us into the kind of people who love others as ourselves and who find in this freedom and who find in this the purpose for our life that we were called to live this way because Christ has set us free. See, in the gospel, we are set free to love as we've been loved, to not go back to slavery, but to stand firm in the gospel and to hold fast to our Savior and to our freedom. And may we be free because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would strengthen us to love as Christ has loved us, to serve as Christ has served us, and to live out your calling on our lives. Father, I pray for those who are here and feeling weary and worn down, that you would renew their strength and grant them rest and grant them fresh courage to follow Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would make us a loving people, that our deepest desire would be to honor Jesus and to live out the freedom that has been won for us in Christ. And Father, we pray all of these things for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Thank you.